Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us, and monthly co-host Kat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. If you are interested in contributing to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. Now, without further ado, our guest for today is Doug Cartwright, and he has written a book called Holy Shit, We Are, we are Alive. Thanks for coming on, Doug. Gary, thank you for having me. I'm excited to dive in. You know, some days I wake up and I'm like, holy shit, I'm alive, but not necessarily in a positive way. I'm like, I can't believe I'm still having to live through this shit. Yeah, I, I, we all have those <laughs> moments. I think that's part of being human is the ebbs and the flows, the ups and the downs. Yeah. So, so you seem like a really positive dude, man. Like, How does somebody stay as positive as you? Um, that's a, you know, interesting question. I think for me, I don't think I was always this positive. I was, uh, like most people trying to rush around and get, you know, the outside world to be a specific way. Right. So I can be happy, meaning, you know, get my health in check or make, you know, a million dollars and get a hot partner. And as soon as, you know, I get the new car or get, you know, whatever I want, then I'll be happy. So I was kind of rushing around for a long time trying to manipulate the outside world per se to match my personal preference. Mm -hmm. um, and that's an exhausting way to live. And a question I like to post people is, you know, we, we try to go out and get things that we want and force people and places and things to match what we want. And I always ask, you know, how's that going for you? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Right. I'm, and, still, um, I'm still relentlessly trying. Yeah. Yeah, we'll always try. And I don't think it's bad to try, but I think there's a difference between rushing around trying to get everything to be our way or surrendering to the universal flow of life and uh, realizing that we can't, there's a lot of things we can't control. We're just kind of going with the ebbs and flows of life. Um, and, and realizing, I think, you know, to answer your question, the, the positivity piece, it's zooming out on this cosmic perspective of really what's going on right now as we're orbiting a star in the middle of the universe going 60,000 miles an hour through infinity and no one really knows what's going on and the you know statistical scientific probability that this moment even exists is basically zero hmm. but here we are and get to enjoy it and here we are on using technology calling each other from across the country having this conversation right interesting um so, so how does that perspective of zooming out and, and looking at the world that way and trying to go with the flow help somebody who's going through the struggle of just being broke and lonely? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, like I was saying, you know, the ebbs and the flows of part of the human experience is feeling all of these emotions, happy sad, depressed, anxious, overwhelmed, while also feeling blissful and enlightened and whatnot. And, you know, 
we are going to go through very intense traumatic experiences in our life. I don't think anyone can can avoid having a an intense traumatic experience. That's true. I At one point, you know, <laughs> life yeah, is traumatic. Everyone, yeah, life is a traumatic experience, and it's a lot more than just say, "Hey, be positive." You know, I think mm-hmm. there's 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 one thing in, in the spiritual world that I do I don't appreciate is the spiritual bypassing, where it's like just think positive thoughts and everything will happen. Well, it's like no, I'm like you said, I'm broke and I'm suffering. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, we all have those moments of, of deep, intense grief and sadness. And it's learning to manage ourselves through those experiences. Hmm. That's important. And and I, I wouldn't say I'm positive all the time. You know, I'm, I'm happy. Right. When you caught me on a good time at this point in my life, I'm on, a, I'm on the up wave. I'm on the uptick. You know, I'm uh-huh. riding the wave right now. But if we had been on this call four years ago at this time, I had suicided ideology i was thinking about suicide i was really depressed and anxious and overwhelmed and really really in a deep place of despair so how did you you make that change from four years ago being you know depressed and suicidal to where mm -hmm. you're at now saying like hey it's all right to to, um feel good or whatever you know yeah yeah i think you know um you know, that's, there's so many different ways when I was really depressed and really sad. So basically what was going on in my life was when I was 27, I had a ton of major shifts happen in my life, kind of all at once. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I grew up Mormon in Utah. I grew up as a Mormon member of the LDS faith and did the Mormon thing for a while. And those who are raised in like an intense Christian or any religious, intense religious household, you know, you realize that all of the tough questions are kind of answered for you, like who you are, why you're on earth, what happens when you die, those type of questions. And so um, around this time in my mid-20s, I started to leave the Mormon faith. It wasn't really resonating with me at the time. On top of that, I was leaving my career where I was like the guy. So I was very fine. I made a lot of money in my early 20s working at a uh, sales company. And was one of the top performers. And so I kind of wrapped my identity into that career as well. And then around 27, I was also leaving that. And then I was also um, met a girl, the love of my life, who I thought was the time who I thought I was going to marry. And she broke up with me. So I was going through a breakup. I was kind of, I left Mormonism. So I had really existential crisis of what the purpose of life was. I had leaving my career. And at this time I was, healing a lot of my, you know, we say trauma through work with working with psychedelics. And so a lot of my old trauma was being exposed at one point. So I was going through all of this at one point and for the first time in it would have been six years, I was actually dealing with the grief of losing my father when I was 21. So finally dealing with grief, questioning my purpose on life, after leaving religion, having my heart broken by the girl of my dreams and leaving a career where I wrapped my identity in while participating and trying to heal through psychedelics. So feeling very raw and open and vulnerable, it created this like in very intense emotional state of depression and distraught and sadness. And, you know, you asked the question, how do I dig myself out? A, it was very slowly. You know, it wasn't something that happened overnight. Um, but I had kind of this aha moment of realizing that 
hey, I can't control people, places, and things. I can't control how the world's going to unfold. I can't control if my ex-girlfriend loves me or not. Right? I can't control what people think about me. The only thing I can control is my internal state. I can control my effort and I control my internal state. So I'll never forget, I was in Arkansas doing a sales training and I was so sad, so depressed. I had to leave work, take a middle of the day of work. I had to like leave and, and walk out because I was so overwhelmed. And I went on a walk in the woods um, to this waterfall out in the back country woods of Arkansas. And I remember having this aha moment of like, okay, I can control my inputs. What are things that make me feel really good that I, that I have full control over? I'm like, I can control how I eat. If I eat really healthy, I feel better. I can control if I get a full night's rest of sleep, right? I can control if I stay hydrated. I can control if I meditate. I can control if I exercise, right? So I'm only going to focus on the things that I personally can control. And everything else I'm going to let go. And I just created a very deliberate, dedicated practice. And I started with my physical state, my physical well-being, physical hydration, diet, exercise, sleep. And that got the ball rolling on the momentum, which then led into meditation and then working more with professional health and therapy. So, you know, controlling what, what's controllable was kind of the first step I took to shift from that negative state to create more of this uh, up-tempo positivity that you speak of. Hmm. So th those things that you mentioned that, that you control, um, like I know for me, like, they're almost like unpleasant to me. Like the idea of eating healthy, I'd much rather yeah. eat ice cream. The idea of right. exercise, dreadful. Hate it. Boring. Um, meditation, like really? <laughs> Why would I want to do that? So, so like, 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 you know, just, just moving from a depressed state to being willing yeah. to do more things I don't want to do. Yeah. It has to be hard. Oh, it's extremely difficult, right? And so, like, I, I'm on the same way. Like, if I would rather eat kale or ice cream, like, obviously, the ice cream is, tastes so much better. It's, it's delicious. And I'd rather sit on the t um, watch TV watching Netflix than meditating. For sure, meditating is not an easy practice. But I took notice of how I felt after I did it, right? Because I'm a big believer that you're gonna, you, you need to choose your heart right? Eating ice cream and feeling bloated and sitting your ass on watching Netflix all day, right? The results of that are hard. Feeling depressed, it's hard. Like being stuck in a rut is hard. Feeling depressed, it's not easy. So you're going to have to do something hard regardless, right? Feeling behind in your life and that you're not accomplishing what you want and that you're stuck. That's hard, right? Yeah. Or do what else is, or so it's got to choose your heart. Meditating is hard. Eating healthy is hard. So either way, you're going to have to choose to do something hard. <laughs> so I'm going to choose the hard that makes me feel my best, you know, sense. and that's not to sit. Yeah. Sense. And that's say I'm not. Yeah. It's not to say I'm perfect in everything. Right. And I still like I was Super Bowl was yesterday and I definitely had some ice cream and, you know, ate some nachos. It was a fun day, you know, but I'm not going to beat myself up over it. And, you know, just it's maintaining those healthy habits over a consistent long period of time. And like I said, you got to choose your hard because both of those things are, are hard to do. That makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of people don't have that perspective. Because, or, or what happens is their particular heart just becomes comfort. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, and comfort, you know, I, I see comfort as well. And, 
you know, in the moment being, you know, if it's watching a show and not exercising and eating unhealthy in the moment is comfortable, but a lot of times the after effects is hard. Like waking up the next morning after drinking and eating really terrible, like that's not easy to wake up and jump out of bed because you're feeling that the next morning, right? So in the moment, right, it's not necessarily hard. And it's funny, it's, it's, it's opposite. In the moment, a lot of those things are comfortable. Yeah. And then they become hard. And then it's switched. Eating healthy, diet, exercise, hydration. In the moment, it's hard. But the after effects, super easy. Hmm. Did the use of psychedelics help you in any way get out of your rut? Totally. Psychedelics completely changed my life. Um, like I said, I grew up Mormon. Um, and you're taught in that faith that every substance is basically meth or heroin. And if you do it one time, you're going to get addicted and die. So don't ever touch anything. You know, marijuana is the gateway drug to becoming an addict and going to jail. Right. So it's like there's this big blanket on what we call as drugs. And you're always just kind of ingrained in your head, like to not ever go that route. And so my introduction to psychedelics is really interesting. Um, in my early 20s, when I was 20, my dad passed away. Right. And I was really, really close with my father. He was coach of my Little League football teams, the Little League basketball teams. And we had a really, really special bond. And he died I'm at 53 to colon cancer, which is incredibly young to have colon cancer. And um, I watched him die over a year and it was, you know, it was really devastating for me. And so rather than deal with the uncomfortable feeling of losing your dad, I distracted myself and buried my head in a sales company that was on 100% commissions. And so I became obsessed with sales and leadership and development. And I worked my way up this company very, very fast at a very rapid rate. And, you know, by the time I was 24, I'd made a million dollars and was seeing a lot of financial success. Um, and thought that if I had the, the status or the car, or the pretty women or the trips around the world, that it was going to, you know, fill this void of losing my father. And, so, you know, for multiple years, I was just chasing this. I was on the hamster wheel of success. And this isn't a new story. We've all heard, we've all heard this from multiple different people of, you know, money doesn't buy you happiness or fulfillment, but I got to live it. And, um, I got to this point when I was 20, 26, where I fell victim to what I've coined in my book is the success void. And the success void to me is when your life, if I were to give you a resume of my life at that point, Gary, you would have been like, oh, this kid's successful. He has a $100,000 car. He's traveling across the world. He's dating pretty women. He's going on trips. You know, he looks successful, but there was that deep void still inside my life. I never felt fulfilled. I never felt like my mind could relax. I was constantly anxious. I was constantly overwhelmed. I could never just sit. It was always I had to be doing something to distract myself from these uncomfortable emotions inside of me. And um, when things started to shift is when I remember being scared because I didn't feel like I could go anywhere in my life because the advice I was getting from my mentors when I felt unfulfilled was to go make more money. And I didn't have like crazy private jet money, but I was doing very well. 
And um, I remember thinking like, I don't think, you know, an extra half a million dollars a year is going to make that big of a difference at this point. And so I didn't know where to go in life. And I remember thinking, you know, I, first thing that happened was I read a book called You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. I wasn't in the spiritual world at all. I was very like toxic, masculine sales bro. Like think Wolf of Wall Street bro. That was the life I was living. And I remember picking up this book, You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. And I'm like, okay, fluffy, whatever. We'll see what this is all about. And she ta- starts talking about like, you know, law of attraction and being positive and tapping into the universe and kind of finding the flow. And I'm like, you know what? I have nothing to lose here. Like everything I've tried hasn't worked. I'm going to kind of lean into this. And so that book led me to eventually led me to read Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. And so I read this book about kind of tapping into your spiritual self and kind of using energy. And so now then I start to get interested in meditation. So I start dabbling in meditation and I remember um, I used to be a cross CrossFit athlete, which is like, you know, great and grind and fierce and intense and a very masculine way of working out. And after a CrossFit class one night, my instructor invited me to go to a yoga class. And I remember thinking like yoga, that's for the hippies. Like, I'm not going to go to yoga. Like, no way, not for me. And she said something. She's like, oh, it'll help you with CrossFit because you'll be more mobile. I'm like, well, if it's going to help me lift more then yeah, I'm in. And so I went to this yoga class and it was a restorative class and there was candles and meditation music. And I remember going through the movements and then getting to Shavasana at the end where you're kind of in that meditative state. And I remember being like, whoa, what is this? And my mind had quieted down and it stopped and it wasn't moving a million miles an hour. And I felt so calm. And I remember laying on the mat during that experience and being like, my brain hasn't felt this calm in 10 years. And so I remember feeling this draw to yoga. So my impulsive personality is I immediately sign up for all the things. So I went all in, went to Lululemon the next day and bought 10 pairs of shorts and a yoga mat and a yoga membership. And I start tapping into this kind of mind, body, soul connection. And I'm starting to read spiritual books and I'm starting to tap into this other kind of realm of life that was so unattractive to me in in previously because it came across as weak you know it's like the weak people do meditation and yoga and hippy dippy stuff and um so i kind of stay on this path for a little bit and then i uh signed up for a yoga retreat in costa rica and I go on this yoga retreat. It's incredible. I felt like I was like the bachelor. I was like the only single guy there. And there was like 20 young, 20 single girls. And so I was like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. And I'm the one single dude. But for whatever reason, I remember being really in tune on that yoga retreat. And I remember having, so the first thing where something weird happened to me was here in Costa Rica. And we're doing a restorative class overlooking the beach at this resort center and the sun's the sun is setting and it's just like the most picturesque beautiful yoga i mean they should have had a photographer there to put us on the cover of the yoga magazine it was so so pristine so anyways the sun goes down we're under a new moon and we're in shavasana again and i'm laying down and i remember just laying down and then feeling like my body was floating And I'm like, what is going on? I feel so light. My eyes were closed and I was in like this trance, you could say. 
And I remember I turn around and I could see my own body on the ground. And I was like, what? And I remember like slapping back into my body and like, I panicked. It wasn't like, like, oh, out of body experience. This was so cool. It was like terror. And I'm like, what was that? What just happened? I've never. And I, I, I remember I came to the conclusion in my mind that I must've been dreaming. I'm like, that was just a dream that couldn't have been possible. And it kind of rattled me. And so I get home from Costa Rica and I'm, I'm, I remember feeling like an energetic shift had happened and I'm just kind of feeling like I'm in this flow. And shortly after that Costa Rica trip, I was doing a sales training in Memphis, Tennessee. I'll never forget. And um, I'm leaving to go to the airport. The sales trip was completed and I'm going to the airport. And I'm like, as I'm getting my Uber ride, I get an email from audible. And it was like, here are the top sellers for top selling books recently. And I had, I had a credit to spend to listen to a book. And I come across a book called stealing fire by Jamie wheel and Stephen Collar. And the premise of the book is how to get into flow state, right? So flow state is when you're just in the pocket. So think of the athlete when he's just in the zone, Michael Jordan scoring 50 points or the surfer who finds the wave or the musician that's just in the pocket. And just, it comes really naturally and you're not thinking and you're just performing at a very elite level. And in my head, I pick up this book thinking, okay, how can I increase my sales performance by getting into this flow state? So that was my intention of going through this book. I get to the book and, you know, about a third of the way through, they start talking about psychedelics. And my mind is blown because in my head, I related like psychedelics to shame and scandal and addiction and trauma and here they are talking about these incredible therapeutic benefits of working with, you know, psilocybin mushrooms and LSD and MDMA uh, in regards to PTSD and DMT, which is the active ingredient in ayahuasca. And I'm reading these reports and this and my jaws on the floor. And I'm like, what? There's something I remember thinking there's something here. And I remember a big paradigm shift for me was here's me trying to be this successful sales entrepreneur. And, you know, given that information, Steve Jobs is like the pinnacle of success, right? Here's the most influential entrepreneur who created Apple. And, you know, we're using his products now. And he wanted to put a dent in the universe, they say. And there's a quote from Steve Jobs in this book where he says, you know, doing LSD was one of the most profound experiences of my life. It showed me that there's another side to the coin. And I remember thinking like, whoa, here's someone who changed the world who has a positive experience with these compounds. There's something here. So per the universe, two weeks later, it might even been less than two weeks later. Um, it's a Saturday. I'm in Utah, Salt Lake City, where I grow up. And I was actually supposed to be on a work work trip that day. But for whatever reason, I don't remember why, but I was I canceled and stayed in Utah. And I get a phone call from one of my best friends. And he just said, hey, there's a cabin party up in Eden, Utah. If, and do you want to come? And for those that don't know Eden, Utah, it's like this beautiful mountain town, like right on the lake, you know, lush green trees. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. It's cabin. It's beautiful. So I go up to Eden, Utah um, and not thinking, you know, much of what's going on might have a couple of drinks might smoke might smoke a blunt who knows you know that's the most i'd ever done as far as uh anything uh 
drug wise was marijuana. So I get to this cabin and I see a friend there who I hadn't seen in, since high school in almost 10 years. And he just goes, Hey Doug, good to see you. It's like, Hey, not sure if you're into any of this, but we have some MDMA here. And I'm like, Holy shit. I have never been offered hard drug in my entire life. I read a book about it, feel like I need, feel a calling to it. And then I get offered it in less than 10 days. And I remember thinking like, Oh, I have to try this. Like, okay, cool. I'm in, you know? So me and, and my best friend at the time have never done anything. So we take a press pill. It wasn't the rocks, but we took a press pill. We took it at the same time as our, both our first experiences ever. And those that have ever done MDMA, um, you know, 45 minutes in, I have a typical MDMA experience. So my body feels really good. The music sounds incredible. My heart feels open. I feel lovey. And I remember thinking like, oh, I get raves now. Like I get why people go to raves. Like it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. The rave scene and for the first, you know, hour on the come up was, I felt incredible. Um, but I, I wasn't having like this deep spiritual experience that I had read about. And there was a, actually a moment while I was coming up, I remember feeling really, really good and really open, but being like, you know, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, even though it's incredible, but you know, and I remember having this idea of like, okay, slippery slope you need to like stay strong stay straight like you're enjoying your night have fun but you know this might be the only experience you ever have that type of thing so i've definitely peaked i'm definitely in the experience i'm definitely feeling good my buddy comes to me and says hey come up to the main bedroom and we're going to turn off the lights we'll turn on like dead mouse music we have this laser pen thing he's like you're gonna love it i'm like cool we're doing drugs let's do it so we go into the room, he does his little laser show, yada, yada, yada. It's amazing. I'm rolling. And someone like comes in mid, mid experience, hits the lights and like kind of throws the vibe off. Mm-hmm. And so like people like start to leave. And I remember laying down on the hardwood floor, putting my hands behind my head and being like, there's more to this. Like, I know there's another layer here. And so I go to stand up to go into the kitchen with everyone else. And I have this like, Oh no, like, oh shit moment. Like I need help. I need help right now. And I felt frozen in time. I don't know how to explain it, but my, my body, I started to fall out of my body. Like I did in Costa Rica and I fell behind my body and I felt stuck. And all of these memories from when I was a kid, like three, four years old, started to come back to my mind that I hadn't thought about in years that I totally forgot about. And I had this moment, I'm like, oh my God, my life is flashing before my eyes. I'm like, I've died. I'm like, I've died. And I started to panic. I'm like, they're going to have to call my mom and tell her that I took drugs and I died at this party. And it was like, I don't think it lasted very long, that experience, maybe like 30 seconds, but it's probably still to this day, some of the most terrifying 30 seconds of my life. And then all of a sudden I like slapped back into my body. And there was like this really intense ringing, like this wow, 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 like in my ears. And I go and I open up the door to go into the kitchen area. And I don't know how to explain it, but I was physically in a different dimension, like a higher experience than this is real. And everything looked way more real like 5d and and super sharp and super intense. And I could see energy in the sky, in the air, like floating through the room. And I would look at people and they were breathing these like, I mean, it's an aura. It was an aura. I didn't know what aura was at the time, but like these auras of 
and there were different colors of brightness. And there was like these light systems up through people. And I would look at someone and I just knew everything about them. Just at such a depth and level about their experiences. And I remember seeing uh, an, a friend there that was sober who just gotten divorced. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, his divorce has been so hard on him. But it was like a matter of fact statement, which is interesting because MDMA is very mm -hmm. empathetic. Like, oh man, you're so hard. It was just like, oh, his divorce has been very hard on him. And my initial thought is in this experience is like, this is what happens when you do drugs. Like, how come no one talks about this place? And so I like go to my buddy and I'm like, thank you. So who gave me the pill? I'm like, thank you so much. Like, I can't believe we got here. We finally got to this other dimension. Like, this is insane. And he's just like, yeah, glad you're having fun. And so I go out onto the patio, the back patio to look at the lake um, in the, up in the mountains. And I see the earth's soul. And I was, my jaw is like, oh my God, mother earth. Oh, I get it. Like mother earth. It's an actual living entity. It's an actual energetic entity. It's not like, oh my gosh, like, holy shit, I get it. And then I walk back inside and then I, I don't even know how to explain this piece, but like this beam of light socks me on the top of the head. And it was the love of the creator. And it's not, you know, from my experience of it, it wasn't, it was, I, you know, growing up religious, you think it's a guy in a beard and a robe on a throne in the sky. And it was this intelligence of creation that's so inexplainable that morphed and fulfilled my whole body and i thought you know the happiest moment of the happiest day of my life was a 10 on the scale of happiness scale this was like a 100 like a depth and happiness and love and purity that i can never explain just fully immersed and if it was the first time in my life i felt the love of creation and the creator itself this living energetic intelligence that's intertwined between everything and then i start to realize i'm like you know what i think i'm having a different experience than everyone else here and so i go up, up upstairs and um go lay down in the bed and, and then i start hallucinating so i close my eyes and i meet like this really lanky almost like ghost not like ghost like but like it's hard to explain like this ghost like uh spirit guide and it shows me and then, like I said, I'm not saying this is true, like this is how it actually is, but this is my interpretation of it. But he showed me like what happened before we were born and then what happens when we die. And before we were born, there was like this massive general's tent, you could say. And there's souls or essences of being inside this tent. And there's like all these game plans where it's like, okay, Doug, you're going to, at 33, you're going to meet this person. At 44, you're going to meet this person. They're going to teach you this lesson, and you're going to teach this lesson. It was almost like contractual. Like I had to sign these contracts of like development and growth and understanding with different sales or souls. And then we like put our hands in the middle. It's like, okay, ready, break. And then we go and live it on Earth. And then after Earth, you're, there's like this, I don't want to use the word judgment because it's not a judgment, but there's like a, an accountability or like a recap might be a better word of like your life. And so I'm with this soul guy guide and he's like going through this recap experience. And I'm just this all going on in my mind. And I remember then we're under this dome and there was like a million stars under the sky. And I remember I said to him, I'm like, Hey, there's so many stars here. And he's like, Oh no, those aren't stars. It's like, those are experiences 
that you go and have whenever you're whenever you complete Earth. Those are other experiences your soul has that aren't human. And I was like, what? And then he showed me this uh, concept of reincarnation of like your soul will evolve and have multiple human bodies. And in my mind at the time is this, you know, toxic sales bro. I always thought that the hippies thought that reincarnation was when I died, I was going to be a flower. And I'm like, Oh wait, I actually get to be human again. And then all of a sudden it was like over. And so I go down to my buddy and I'm like, bro, what did you just give me? Like, what in the hell was that? Like, thank you so much for that experience. And he's like, yeah, glad you're having fun. And I'm like, no, like, y'all, I'll never be the same ever again. And so I go home. I wake up the next morning. I call my other friend who took the same pill as me at the same time. I'm like, dude, what did you learn in the spirit world? He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, no. When you like broke through to that other dimension, like, what did you learn? He's like, what? It's like, I just had a really good conversation with my wife. What happened to you? I'm like, I went to another dimension and had a hallucination of what happens before life and the whole purpose of life. And this part of the story, like it sounds kind of fun or whatever, cool story, but like, it was actually incredibly terrifying to me. So I'm like, Oh, I've messed my brain up. Like I've had a psychotic break. I'm, I'm going through full psychosis and I'm, I I've lost my mind. I'm going to be crazy person. They're going to put me in a psych ward. And so I need like, I need to understand what's more, what's going on. So I doubled down. I start reading Reddit posts about, you know, trip experiences, not finding anything even close to mine on MDMA. And I'm like, I I for sure have have fried my brain. Um, But I did find a little bit of things, uh, people saying similar ideas like on DMT per se. Um, And then, so probably for about 30 days after that experience, I slept with my lights on in my room. I'm kind of like, okay, there's definitely another dimension. There's definitely energies that participate in this human experience. Like something's going on. And I was terrified. Um, and coincidentally, shortly after that, I was on another yoga retreat in St. George, Utah. And I invited one of my best friends down to go with me. So we're in this yoga retreat and I'm just like, Hey, I need to tell you what happened to me about a couple of weeks ago. You're not going to believe it. So I'm telling her this story. And so rewind quick step back to 2008 and I'm on my Mormon mission in Auckland, New Zealand when I was like a missionary for the church and I had a reoccurring dream and I actually have it written down in my, in one of my journals. Um, but in this dream, I'm looking through a white sliding glass door or a, a glass sliding glass door and on the table inside this, in this house is a white birthday cake. And in my dream, I had this impression of like, oh my gosh, whose birthday is it? What are we celebrating? What's going on? And right before I wake up, I zoom in over the cake and I look down on it. And in red frosting, it just says June 10th. So I'm like, oh, cool. On my mission, something cool is going to happen on June 10th in 2008. Anyways, nothing cool happened on June 10th on my mission. So anyways, I'm telling back to St. George, Utah, I'm telling my friend about this experience. And while I was actually through my breakthrough, my sober friend took a video recording on his cell phone of me talking. He's like, Hey, tell us what's going on right now. And so I have this video and I'm like, we're in another dimension. Everything's connecting. There's another life. I can't believe what's going on. So I'm like, Hey, let me show you this video. And so I pull up my iPhone. I click on the video and I notice the timestamp on the bottom. 
which is June 10th. And I'm like, what? And my jaw drops. I'm like, there's something going on here. There's something going on here. And so I get back to Utah, Salt Lake, and I doubled down on the book, Stealing Fire, that book, that initial book I read. Mm-hmm. And read it again. I sign up for their newsletters. I sign up for all of their programming. And I get an email one day that says, hey, due to the success of the book, we're going to hold a flow camp. We'll get together in the wilderness and have these conversations. And I'm like, we're going to hold it in Eden, Utah. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, what the hell? So I apply to go to this flow camp. I get in and um, I show up and here am I just like two months earlier was like this sales bro. And now I'm dropping into these flow camps with all these hippies. And it was during the, it was actually funny. It was during the, uh, the solar eclipse in 2017. So we're like up, you know, in a, in a pretty good spot. I remember there was this woman there that like didn't have her armpit shaved. She's like this very flowy hippie girl. And she was like, Hey, what's your, uh, what's your Zodiac moon rising sign? And I'm like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. And she's like, you don't know your, your rising sign during the eclipse, one of the biggest energetic moments of the year. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, where am I? And so I'm like, I'm going to bail. I'm going to go home. Like, I just live 40 minutes from here. So I stayed one more night and they had these speakers and this woman, Kristen, shows up to speak. And she's all about uh, a fear coach, how to embody your fear, how to not suppress your emotions how to tap into these these you know uh different flow states per se and after her chat i remember we we're walking back to our tents and she was walking right next to me and i just had this really strong impression that i came to that camp to meet her and i just said hey what do you do she goes i'm a, I'm a fear expert and coach i'm like i need to hire you right now because i'm kind of going through a really big process in my life right now and um She's like, yeah, I'd love to work with you. I'm like, where do you live? She's like, I live in Salt Lake City. I'm like, no way. I live in Salt Lake City. She ends up living 15 minutes away from me. So I get back and I start working with her and I tell her this story that happened to me on June 10th and you know, saving, saving, the, saving some of it for time. But we dive in, we start working together and she, she was really important to me because she really grounded me. And she's like, hey, you're not losing your mind. You're not crazy. You're just going through a spiritual awakening. And uh, after working with Kristen, for a couple of months, she brought up the idea. She's like, Hey, I think you're ready for ayahuasca. And I was like, Oh shit. You know, what's ayahuasca? And then Kristen was eventually the one that led me to go work in those, in those sacred ceremonies. And so that was kind of my introduction to it. It was kind of a very fun, crazy wild ride story. Um, had a really unique experience with my first time with MDMH, which still I haven't been able to understand why I had such an intense experience, but. Um, you know, eventually later on working with psilocybin and integrating that with therapy and, and ayahuasca and integrating that with therapy, it's been the, you know, the most transformational decision I've ever made in my life. Hmm. Were any new trips afterwards comparable to that one? The first one that you had? The, the, yeah. The only trip that was, uh, even remotely comparable was the first time I smoked five MEO DMT. Hmm. So the first time I did, I worked with toad. I had a full, you know, swimming in infinity with God experience and full consciousness and timelessness. And that was really, really, really profound. But I've done MDMA probably since then. I've probably done it seven times since then and haven't had anything even remotely close to that. 
How about with the ayahuasca? Ayahuasca is really beautiful. It's different. Um, really powerful ayahuasca experiences of really getting through, you know, the veil you per se. Um, yeah, and just exposing you to a higher structure, as you can say. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of had like this, I would say, 18-month excursion of, of – with psychedelics, which is, which I'm, I'm, my psychedelic phase is, is definitely over mm-hmm. at this point in my life. I probably have one psychedelic experience per year at this point where, you know, right after that experience, I was, have been, you know, maybe one or two a month. That's still not bad. Like when I was young. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I was really young, I, like I, I had like really bad learning disability. I couldn't learn. I couldn't focus. I couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And then like my, my, Senior year, I went like on this three month binge on Angel Dust. Wow! Like every day, twenty four hours a day, I just did Angel Dust. But afterwards, I didn't have a learning disability anymore. Wow! Like no, nothing spiritual, but it definitely rewired right. my brain in a way that made me a much more functional person. Wow! Yeah, and then it's so interesting. I, I would tell that to people too. After my first three night ceremony working with ayahuasca. I was like, guys, my my brain has been rewired, and I can feel it. I can feel that my neurochemistry in my brain is different. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. It's fun. It's powerful. It's powerful stuff. So, so how does this tie into what you're doing now? Yeah, it's a great question because so I gonna go on like this sabbatical from 2000. 19 or 2017 and 2019 ish. I go on the sabbatical where it's like, okay, those experiences were very profound for me. And so I'm like, let's push the limit. How far can I go? What else is out there? So I sign up to do everything. So that includes I'm working with psychics, I'm doing Reiki, I'm going to Burning Man, I'm doing EMDR, I'm doing flow tanks, I'm doing the biohacking, I'm doing cryotherapy, I'm working with spiritual gurus in Bali, I'm doing you know, working with a psychologist, a Russian psychologist in New York, I'm, you know, anything and, any, you know, anything or everything that people claim to have some sort of insight and in mindfulness meditation or, or healing or, you know, mysticism, I'm fully embodying. And I had the resources at the time to kind of take two years off of my life and just explore. And I had this aha moment through it all where it was, I was healing so much and I was connecting to a creator for the first time and was learning really powerful practices that were greatly enhancing the quality of my life through, you know, meditation and movement and mind, body, soul connection. And I had this idea. I'm like, wow, like my old demographic of coworkers really need a lot of help and could use so much of this content and healing. But the current way it's being presented is extremely unapproachable for them. They think it's weak or soft or woo-woo or black magic or hippy-dippy or weird, right? And and not gonna go. They're not gonna go to the woods and take mushrooms from a guy with a long long hair and a beaded necklace around his neck. It's just like too hippy-dippy, weird. And so I came up with the idea. I'm like, okay, how can I repackage a lot of this content? And present it in a way that like a toxic sales bro would be open to it. 
And so that's what inspired me to start the daily shifts, which is um, a mindfulness app for busy people. And we have an online course and content and workbook. And I also work one-on-one with individuals and then in group settings. And I also work for corporations where I have, I'll take them to a reset weekend and I'll take their digital detox and take their phones away. But I kind of get into some of these practices in a very simple, easy to use, presentable way. So think, think about it as like mindfulness, spirituality for kindergartners. And that's what daily shifts is. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take you to the jungle to do ayahuasca. You know, that's not my role. There's a lot of facilitators out there. My job is just to tap you on the shoulder and just have you look like, Hey, there's another way. Just look at it this way, you know? And if you get into meditation or breath work or microdosing, whatever your thing is, you know, I just want to show you that there's another path. And so it's been really, really successful. You know, a lot of, a lot of the clients I work for are seeing incredible results. And I just think this whole health and wellness, mindfulness, um, these tools and techniques are becoming more popular and they are being talked about more, which is great. And so I, I want to pr- provide a landing spot for people um, to get into the space without feeling intimidated um, through other modalities. Mm-hmm. Um, out of all the things that you've, I mean, during that two-year period, when you're trying all these different types of things, which yeah. ones did you find were the most effective and which ones did you find that were just bunk? Yeah. Um, for me, the most effective, and it's like, it's, there's no comparison, it's the meditation piece, right? You know, 20 minutes twice a day for me. I mean, it's like that keeps me so grounded, keeps me so in the flow, Um and, and a gratitude practice on top of that. So like a loving kindness, gratitude meditation, like harnessing this behavior and this idea of feeling incredibly grateful for my life and the things that I do have, even in times where I'm going through a really rough transition, remembering, you know, embodying the gratitude through meditation, that for sure, more so than anything has been, has been life-changing. Second, I would say is my yoga practice, you know, tapping into my body, keeping my, my body feeling loose and fluid and taking care of my muscles, um, has been a huge benefit for me. Um, the things that I would say are bunk for me. And like I said, these are bunk for me. I'm not mm-hmm. saying these practices are bunk, right, yeah, things but are, bunk things for me. Work for different yeah. people. Absolutely. Yeah. Things that did not work for me, like Reiki didn't do anything for me. Um, didn't feel any change in there. Uh, I, I met a couple of psychics that just missed the mark on some stuff that I think that didn't really resonate with me. Maybe I'm meeting with the wrong psychic, but that didn't do much for me. The, for whatever reason, the astrology has never, it would never resonated with me fully. I've had moments where I'm like, okay, cool. That can lay maybe a little bit. Um, but you know, my, my girlfriend right now, she's deep in the astrology world and it's a huge gift for her. You know, and it works for her. For me, it's just, as it has been able to resonate it. Maybe it's the people who say, Oh, that's the Capricorn in you. Um, <laughs> Capricorn too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the Capricorn as you know. The astrology doesn't work. So, yeah, a lot of the, any anything that involves, I guess, like fortune telling, hasn't really landed for me ever. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's a psychic or astrology or you know, hasn't fully. And and I'm not to say that it's not real. You know, it, it's not an active tool. But for me in my in my life, there hasn't been much for it. But um, I would say the meditation and the yoga, absolutely. Um, I think the psychedelic healing is an absolutely if that's 
done in the right set and the right setting with the right intention in a safe container can be very, very beneficial. Um, I've, but I would say bunk would be psychedelic healing done in an unsafe container where it's that you, you're not feeling you're, you're not doing it in a safe environment is a big no, no. I've actually had an experience. Uh, I had a, a really difficult experience on psychedelics where I had like a psychotic break and it was because I wasn't taking care of set and setting and intention uh, and ended up being uh, a uh, negative experience and impact on me that really affected my my way of living for a while after that. Hmm. I would have to say that that meditation was a game changer for me also. Mm, yeah, uh, amazing. I, I didn't meditate. For, you know, I didn't really know anything about it. And I read a book by the Dalai Lama. I said, mm. man, maybe I'll give this shit a try. Which, which book was it? Do you remember? Um, How to See Yourself as You Really Are. Cool. I got to check that out. I haven't read that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. And so so I found a, a monk, a, a female monk, who lived like literally down the street from me and ran a meditation group. And I started practicing. And I kid you not, like the first time I sat for 20 minutes, I was like, this is incredible. This is absolutely yes. incredible. And the other thing that she would emphasize too was that gratitude thing, which I've, I have stopped mm. doing, which I need to get back to. Because I, I have lost focus on that particular area of my life, you know. Yeah. But but it was it was so powerful that you know I became uh, ordained as as a, as a um, Zen lay practicing monk and took precepts. And I've even written a book on it. So wow, but, yeah. but, it, but it taught me you get it. It told me the idea that um, I'm not my thoughts, mm. and um, I couldn't. You know, my my, my thoughts don't control me. You know, prior to meditation, whatever thought I had, I thought it was true, and I thought I had mm. to run with it. Yeah. That's that gap, right? So it's that mm -hmm. stimulus and response gap, right? There's a stimulus in our life, and we normally just react very quickly, right? We don't take that time to pause. And in my experience, meditation, you know, A, to your point, I'm not my thoughts. I'm the experiencer of the thought, mm -hmm. right? And then... You know, having those stimulus, we have time now to choose. Do we want to react our old way or do we want to choose a new path? And that's what it does for meditation for me is for me, meditation just slows time down and puts me in control of my life. Or I'll have something happen and rather being reactive, I can kind of take a step back and be like, okay, that's interesting. What's going on here? Do I, do I, do I want to go in and react what I used to or I can choose a new path? Mm -hmm. So yeah, to your point, you know, separating thoughts and reaction is, is, you know, that'll change anyone's life. Yeah, it was huge, huge. Like, even now, like, I think, like, if my life were to completely fall apart, I would probably just move to Thailand and become a monk. Because yeah. I could literally just sit there and meditate for, for you know, next 20 years. <laughs> it's not it's not a bad, that's not a bad safety <laughs> net, you know. <laughs> Shit hits the fan, you're in, a, you're in Thailand, you're meditating, you know, it doesn't seem like a bad life. No, not at all, really. Uh, you know, you have food, you got your meditation, place to sleep. It's really all you need at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, it's us yeah. that – a lot of it's culture. What do you think about that idea? Like, like I mean, a lot of our programming is cultural. And it's like mm -hmm. we're programmed into becoming a consumer. You know, we're all about consuming and consuming and wanting more and more and more. Rather than being like, I've already have everything I need. All I really need mm -hmm. to do is – enjoy what I have and maybe help other people. 
Yeah, I'm a big believer in the flow of the two together. And what I mean by that is, you know, prime example yesterday. So I'm a certified meditation teacher. I'll do, I'll go to the cave and do ayahuasca. I'll do the spirituality thing. Like it's really beneficial, but I'm also alive in the year 2022 and we have, and I'm human and I live in Los Angeles, California. And when the LA Rams are playing in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm going to have my friends over and I'm going to make nachos and I'm going to have a drink and I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to love the halftime show with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, you know? And so I'm going to be a consumer of that because it's, it makes what makes life unique in this moment. And so it's Mm -hmm. not identifying so much as, as one or the other, but I think it's finding the flow of like, how can I show up as Doug in 2022, do the things that I love to do, well, coming from a place of integrity and a place of love and a place of centeredness and embrace the humanness of, of what today is. And so I don't think you have to pick one. I think it's how do you balance the two the two together? Yeah, what you're describing is the middle way. Yeah. And that's like that um, the teaching of like Nagarjuna. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but a lot of people get stuck, you know, mm-hmm. into – just consumerism and greed yep. And, yep. and never seek spiritual, any type of spirituality, um, you know, because they thought like you did when you were in the business mm. world, like, like it's just a bunch of hippies and, you know, it's, 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 it's so, or like for me, like I kind of even viewed it as like an escapist culture. Like I was, oh, these people mm. are just using this to escape reality. Yeah. The spiritual bypassing piece is a, is a big part too. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I think more and more people are coming attuned to this way of life. And, but at the same time for me, it was, you know, <coughs> my spiritual journey couldn't have, couldn't have started any sooner because I needed to have those experiences of not finding the right way. And so, yeah, our, our, our culture is being, we are consumers. We are being taught that we need to buy and have the right car, the right, purse for in like hairdo to have happiness and uh it's definitely ingrained in us growing up especially here in the west um and hopefully you know as more people wake not i don't like to wake up but like become more attuned to their inner self and their inner, inner voice i think we'll start to see a shift and i think it is happening you know as meditation and psychedelics, and it seems like yoga are getting more and more popular. Yeah, you know, um, than they've been, and you know, at least in, at least fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, like here, I, I lived in, you know, I grew up here in New Jersey, and like yoga is like everywhere here, right? It's just like yeah. to me, it was something normal. I never questioned it. You know, I've done a little bit. I've mostly used to do like um, Kundalini yoga with you know, with the guy out mm. the robe and the beard and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was really cool. Then I moved to Alabama. Like I just I just moved back from Alabama. But in five in Alabama, they actually would consider like yoga like devil worship. Yeah, like, like the fundamentalists, the Bible Belt. Yeah, like and imagine yeah. like like was it like that too with the Mormons? Like did they look at like something like that as like I, evil? I wouldn't say the word evil, but it was kind of like it was kind of like frowned upon. Like, mm-hmm. not that it was evil, but it was almost like woo-woo, like not real, like new age, like lost in the clouds. 
Like it wouldn't be bad if I did it, but it became like, Oh yeah, Doug's kind of like gotten a little weird, you know? <laughs> and so, but it definitely wasn't, it definitely wasn't approved of not, 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 not approved, but it wasn't encouraged by any means. Definitely wasn't encouraged, but it wasn't like this evening, but yeah, there are places for sure. Like, especially in the South Bible belt country where it's like yoga meditation, that stuff is like the devil's work. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, which is wild. <clears throat> it was a shock to me. That's for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. With the Mormons, though, did you have more than one wife? No, so that's a common misconception. So, like, origins of Mormonism, there was polygamy, right? <coughs> and then in, like, I don't know the year, but over a 100 years ago, they actually stopped doing that. They stopped polygamy. And then there was a break-off of Mormonism called the Fundamentalist LDS. Mm-hmm. So, FLDS. They kept polygamy and they have like their compounds in the middle of Southern Utah. It's very small, but the normal Mormon faith hasn't practiced polygamy in over a hundred years. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I always been a little bit fascinated by the Mormon faith because of the whole Joe Smith story. It's wild. Like, I don't know. <clears throat> I can't say, like when I first heard it, I thought it was just crack. I thought it's just yeah. nonsense that this dude made up to start a cult. You know, yeah. and, it, and it might be that, you know, could be, or it is also possible that, um, you know, Jesus was never really crucified and escaped and went somewhere else. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about uh, that is, you know, Joseph Smith had claimed <coughs> to have that vision. I think it was like eighteen. I can't remember eighteen twenty or maybe. I can't remember. But anyways, what I think happened is he went to this grove of trees where he claimed the vision happened where Jesus and God approached him. I'm like, I just think he did mushrooms. That's what I think, I think too. He, Maybe he ate some I, mushrooms. That is like I think he experience. ate some mushrooms and had a very intense psychedelic experience and created And I remember what's interesting, when I had my experience on June 10th, I actually had, I thought of Joseph Smith in that experience. I'm like, oh shit, like this is where Joseph Smith got to. And I remember thinking, if I had this experience 150 years ago, I would start a religion too. Like I get it, you know? <laughs> and so uh, I think, you know, it, what makes the most sense to me is that Joseph Smith was in the sacred grove mm-hmm. and he ate a bunch of mushrooms and had a really powerful experience and envisioned that God and Jesus came to him. Do you, do you think that the psychedelics explain a lot of the visions and prophecies that are in the Bible? Oh yeah. I mean, look at Moses in the burning bush. Exactly. Like, that's a that totally right. What what was that book called? Immortality Key. Um, it was a newer book that came out last year. That we just it, the whole book is about um, syncing by biblical experiences right. and how they're integrated with psychedelic experiences. Um, and you know, after having a, my initial psychedelic experiences, I'm like, oh no, religion makes so much more sense. You know, especially the experiences, and it's just like I think. And my, I mean, I don't know, I'm not an expert by any means, but in my opinion, I think um, a lot of biblical experiences were based on psychedelic experiences for sure. Hmm. So with that then, um, what do you think it is, like, like when you have that experience of, of that beam of light, like God hitting yeah. you in the freaking head, right? Um, do you think that God is just a source of energy? And, you know, we're just a manifestation within some type of God consciousness. 
like like it's like almost like quantum physics would explain or or do you think that that you know it, it's something else i think that it is so beyond our comprehension that no matter how hard or how deep we have this conversation, we'll never be able to fully comprehend what's really happening um, because it's so magnificent and beyond belief. And our human brain only has so much capacity to understand. You know, I like to use the analogy of, you know, do you have a pet? Do you have a dog? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So think about what's, what's your dog's name? Polaris. Polaris. Okay. So think of Polaris, right? If you decided to dedicate the rest of your life to teach your dog French, <laughs> right? The rest of your life, you hired the best French tutor, you bought them online courses, and you dedicated the rest of your life for your dog to teach French. It doesn't matter how hard you try. Polaris is not learning French. <laughs> no, yeah. Right? I'm lucky if he learns to go to the bathroom outside. <laughs> right, right, right. You're just, you're just happy if he goes and fetches the ball. Right? If he can fetch the ball and go to the bathroom outside, we're like, he's got it, right? And you think of the intelligent gap, right? It's, and it's not because Polaris is bad. He just doesn't have the capacity right. and the receptors and, and, and the, um, the, the, the mind to be able to comprehend, the, comprehend French, mm-hmm. right? And I think that gap between your dog and you is that times a million between us and the, and the creator, right? No matter how hard we try, no matter how that we hire the right people, we take on the right courses, right? We won't be able to comprehend creation and God. We just, our, our minds are limited. Mm-hmm. And so I think all God wants us to do is go to the bathroom outside and fetch the ball. Just go be human. Just go be human. Don't try and figure it out. A, you can't figure it out, right? We can't. Our minds don't have the capacity and the consciousness to understand creation. And so accepting that for me in my life was actually a really, really important piece because I was on this quest of trying to figure it out, right? The next ayahuasca circle, smoking 5-MeO-DMT, working with this the, the spiritual guru in Bali, maybe they have it figured out, right? And then realizing like, oh, no one knows what's going on. No one's figured it out. And more so than that, we can't. We can't figure it out because our minds don't have the capacity to understand creation. That took a massive weight off my shoulders. I mean, like, oh, cool. I just get to be human. I have this time between my birth and my death where I get to have this experience on Earth. What do I want to do with it? What do I like to do? Oh, I like being athletics. I like being outside in nature. I like moving my body. I like eating healthy. I like traveling. I love bringing my friends together like I did last night and eat yummy food and watch the Super Bowl and enjoy Mm -hmm. the halftime show. I love being with community. So I'm going to go do those things, right? Rather than waste my time trying to climb this corporate ladder or trying to understand the mysteries of the universe. And sure, we'll get hints and clues along the way. But if I can just surrender to the flow of life, and let it take me. It it creates for a beautiful, enriching, deep experience. Right, I agree with you one hundred percent. You know, thank you with that, all of it, and um, you know, no, no, because since we're both on the same page with that, how do you feel sometimes when you see people out there claiming they do know God? Yeah. I, I know for yeah, me, I, for me, it kind of does make it does make me cringe inside. 
Because mm-hmm. I think those people are harming like the people that they're just like to harming the people that believe them. Yeah, I think there's there's a fine line, right? It's like I know the word I use is the universe, right? Mm-hmm. I know the uni- I know the universe for me, but I don't know it for you, mm-hmm. right? So when someone say I know the universe, it, to, I think it should be rephrased like I have a beautiful relationship to creation for me. But to say you have the answers for someone else, that's a no, right? You don't have no, the answers I for don't. someone else in it. Yeah, exactly, right? And so when people you're referencing, people say they, they know God for us. It's like you don't. But it's, you know, it's, it's difficult because there's a lot of people that I think all humans were trying to make sense of this experience that we're having, right? We like to have a sense of an idea of, of comfort and control because the reality is, is we all – so I remember, you know, this is a good – good point point to bring in this story right after my june 10th experience i remember i was out on my patio i was living in salt lake city at the time and i was looking up into the stars and i was really feeling the cosmic perspective and i'm like holy shit we are on this little pale blue dot in the middle of nowhere hurling through infinity in an unimaginably large universe and no one knows why (laughs) and i looked down under my like i lived on a, on a high rise and i looked down over my patio and there's uh, there was restaurants i lived in a, in a in a high fun area with shops and restaurants and there was a restaurant below me and people are eating outside and i'm like how are people not losing their goddamn minds right now like how are people not freaking out like what is going on like how do we, you know like we are on a rock hurling through infinity no one knows why and i'm having this experience and why do i even have consciousness and i remember like trying almost spinning out and you know, realizing that no one knows. And so because we are all trying to make sense of our experiences and we distract ourselves and we try and find truth, whatever, just to calm our nerves, because people are, I think people are scared of death. And I think people are scared of life of like really what's going on, that they'll seek and cling on to something that gives them a sense of surety and, and answers these tough questions for them just to calm their deep psyche and subconscious. So I think it's really easy to manipulate people and so that's why you see these people like, I know God, or you see these really extreme um, evangelists or whatever it may be, because really people are just craving the sense to make sense of their experience. And it's different for you because <clears throat> I know it's me too. Another thing we have in common is the out-of-body experience. Because when you mm-hmm. had that out-of-body experience, you realize that you're not your body. Yeah. And you realize that you're, you are eternal. Right. Which takes away say, the fear of death. It takes away some of that insecurity, that, that, that thing that people are trying to run away from. Yeah, and I am, I am blessed with my Mormon upbringing, too, because I always believed that, right? It was ingrained as me as a child that I was a spirit and that my spirit was alive before my human life. And then after I die, my body goes in the ground and my spirit lives for eternity. So that was kind of a belief that was really, really slammed into my subconscious and it wasn't until I really dove into Michael Singer's work, who wrote The Untethered Soul mm-hmm. and The Surrender Experiment. And his work is really, really resonated with me. And he really hounded this idea that you're not your body. And I'm like, why is he hitting this so hard? Like, of course, I'm not my body. And then it was, wasn't until later that I realized, like, oh, actually, a lot of people don't have this really strong, deep, you know, Christian belief background where you are a spiritual soul. And so separating those two it seems from my experience has been really really profound for a lot of people yeah i know for me 
I mean, I was raised Catholic and in the same environment, but I didn't quite, I didn't buy it, you know. Mm. Was, but, but when I had the experience, I was like, whoa, shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was bizarre. How, how, were you, how long ago did that happen for you? It wasn't that long ago. I mean, that's why I started this podcast. I would say it was about two, three years ago. I had an, a really bad epileptic seizure, but it was the coolest thing that ever happened to me. It would last wow. like 30 minutes. I was just out in the universe, what, man. T- t- what was it like? Tell me more about it. Um, it, like, in, like in the near-death world, you would call it a black light experience. Like mm. there's three different types of near-death. There's a black light, a white light, and a clear. And like white light is the one that most people have. Then other people have a black light. And then the clear experience is like the least common. But I was like in this blackness, and I was like in the center of the – galaxy or like in a black hole or something it was colors around me and, and sound but but the colors and the sounds were also alive like mm-hmm. it, it was just and it was peaceful it was completely mm-hmm. peaceful i was completely aware i had my thoughts i could recognize where i was but i was also unburdened by anything mm-hmm. and i was kind of mad that i came back Still kind, of mad, still kind of mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I, I resonate with that. Do you remember my June 10th experience when it kind of was over? I was like, I remember when I was in that other dimension thinking I could die right now and I'd be totally okay with it. Yeah. 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 And, that, and that's, that's the big change too. It's like, all right, well, now I can die anytime and be okay yeah. with it. I'm sure it really changed your belief and your... Uh, relationship to death. It, it changed my whole life. It, you know, yeah. Because it wasn't long after that, you know, I I started the podcast and started interviewing other people that have had similar experiences mm-hmm. experiences and and it's just sort of just grown completely out of control since then. You know? Yeah. Like some people yeah. might even think I've lost my mind, but maybe yeah. I have. But if I did, I guess yeah. I don't really need it. Or maybe you found it. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> or not my mind, the mind. Yeah. The mind, the universal consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap it up, what are some of the key bullet points um, that you present in your book? Yeah, I think I, I, I teed off with kind of this, with, with, with some straight science, just like, hey, holy shit, we're alive. And on a cosmic perspective, this is what's happening. So I kind of detailed the Big Bang the size of the universe, the size of the cosmos, just to kind of like feel the cosmic perspective that you are this teeny tiny human being in a grand cosmic arena. Um, and to feel that just to bring in some gratitude. And then I go kind of through my story of my success void of, you know, feeling like I had it all on paper. And then June 10th, 2017 comes around and tips everything upside down. And I go into some really in depth on my, in my stories and my psychedelic stories and they kind of wrap it up kind of the state I'm in now, like this flow of, of being both. Right. And, you know, if I could share, you know, some really key takeaways from the book, it's just, I think the biggest one is it'll help you to learn to love the life you're actually living now, rather than anxiously fighting for the life you think you're supposed to be living. 
And I'm a big believer that to become who you truly are, you have to let go of who you thought you were supposed to be. And that you have incredible gifts and talents right now in this moment. And once you can kind of heal some of these major stories that are holding you back, you can drop into life and be a participant in life rather than fighting with it. You get to work with life and ride the highs and ride the lows. And it just creates a beautiful, deep, enriching, fulfilling experience. And, you know, a lot, a lot of get podcast guests when they have me ask, you know, like what, what piece of advice would I give them to give out the most? And on that, it's, you know, a three word phrase that I love sharing with people and it's loosen the reins, right? Loosen mm -hmm. the reins. We hold on to life so tight, trying to manipulate it and get it to be a specific way that we want it to be. If you can just let go and let life guide you, it'll, it'll take you on a beautiful journey. And I think life and the creator have our best interests in mind, even though we can't piece it together. And if you can let go, loosen the reins and allow your life to happen, it usually turns out to be very beautiful. Hmm. Good advice. I would agree with you there thank too. You. Yeah. Thank you. So um, where is the best place for my listeners to find you and find your book? So the book's on Amazon. Uh, holy shit. We're alive. I'm very humbled every day to read new reviews. Uh, I can't believe, I think we have, Every one of our reviews is almost five star. I think we're at 90 something percent or five star, which is beyond, beyond me. I didn't think it was going to receive so well. Um, and I'm on Instagram at Doug underscore Cartwright. And I answer all my DMs. So if someone has a question or an idea or wanted to say hello, shoot me a DM. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to chat with anyone. Awesome. Well, I'll put a link to your book and a link to your Instagram in the notes of this episode so my listeners can get your book and reach out to you if they are need your advice yeah fantastic well thanks for Amazing. being on this is a pleasure talking to you thanks gary you're great thank you hang on for one moment i just have to play the outro <laughs> 